Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Good morning and welcome to Dropping In, everyone. Today, we're going to burst the bubble on confidence. Unpack it and take the stuffing out of it. We'll hear from our guest, Dr. Suzanne Doyle-Morris, author of The Con Job, Getting Ahead for Competence in a World Obsessed with Confidence. It's a super important subject, and it affects all the aspects of our lives, from self-esteem to self-worth, to the government and how it responds to COVID, to democracy and equality in the workplace, healthcare, careers, and how we socialize. Understanding what confidence is and isn't will make it so much easier for us to visualize our true merits and not worry about being an action hero all the time. I'm tough, I can do it all. There's nothing I can achieve. Well, that's baloney. And if you've ever felt bad about thinking that way, because it's not what society rewards, this show will ask you to think again. More knowy and less showy is the motto of Dr. Suzanne Doyle-Morris. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you so much, Diane. I'm absolutely delighted to be with your listeners, people who are thinking and questioning and wondering, wait a minute, I thought confidence was all you needed. <laughs> uh, is that really not exactly. the truth? And the truth is, it's not. <laughs> I, I think that you've taken such a thoughtful and grounded approach, and this book just made me feel a whole lot better about the feelings that I had of being not confident and therefore preparing, therefore working extra hard, being diligent and sort of not listening to people that say, hey, you can do it. That's all you need to know. Um, I think that that's just such a myth. Um, And I I think that you have um, said that um, not progressing at work is often blamed on lack of confidence, but this excuse is a total con job, and it is the essence of the title of your book, um, and it misses genuine competence. You point to the $9.9 billion self-help industry in America, and the goal of which is training, but it also distracts from where we should be putting our attention, rewarding competence. I wanted to ask you, first off, just to frame this in a kind of a historical way, how did we get so off the track from competence to now living for confidence? Okay. Well, I don't want to bore your listeners with too big of a history lesson, but actually what's fascinating to me when I was doing this research is that the definition of confidence came from the Latin, like the 15th century. They were already using it then, but what was so interesting and how we, I think we've fallen off track, it was all about trust. Did I have confidence in someone else? Had they done something that was worth me having confidence in them? It was never about something you displayed yourself. People didn't worry about self-confidence. That wasn't an issue. You simply wanted, you wanted to give people your trust. You gave your confidence. 
you couldn't display it in any way. And I think that's how we've, we've, what was so interesting is we've gotten right off handle from that. And that happened in the 1800s when people started noticing, um, and it, it was a, it was a, um, a, a grifter in the, in the Victorian period who was essentially relieving people. He was a, 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 what we would now call a con man, but he was taking money off of unsuspecting people on the street. And the way he did it was he would do it right to their face. He'd say, oh, I need a bit of money. Can I handle, have something? And the people would often hand him because he looked, he looked legit. He was well-dressed. And he'd say, oh, do you mind if I can borrow your pocket watch or something of that nature? And they'd give it to him. And then he'd run off. <laughs> and what was so interesting is when they would talk to victims, they often didn't necessarily really understand what had happened. They said, you know, I, I gave him the money on my own belief. And what was crazy is they would say, well, you know, they said, why did you do that? And they said, well, he just seemed so trustworthy. I handed it to him. And so the press started referring to this as someone, this guy, who had earned the confidence of people when he certainly wasn't worth it. And that's where the term con man, confidence man, and confidence job came from. Well, it couldn't be more applicable to today, I feel. And there was a time, I think, in both our countries, you're, you're broadcasting from the UK, and mm-hmm. both our countries went through a period of, you know, meritocracy, your work defined your worth in a kind of way. And then now, you know, we're at a point of salesmanship and kind of mm-hmm. um, a larger than life presence, especially, for example, social media or a celebrity, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. there's just a, an aura, a bubble. Um, and, and I think that the thing that's interesting to me that you point out is that COVID, for example, we're told, mm-hmm. don't worry about a thing. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be all right. So right. months later, here we are in the, yeah. U, in the U.S., mm-hmm. almost 200,000 deaths later. So yeah. it's really very directly related to confidence and the way we're, confidence is spewed at us at the mm-hmm. sacrifice of actually being taken care of. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you talk about um, the new respect now is for key workers, scientists, doctors, medical yeah. helpers. Now we're turning back to valuing skill and expertise and having a very jaundiced view of the confidence yeah. um, that's being, you know, offered, offered to us. Um, and I, I also think your your most important question of the book that we came out really early on, and this book is something that you can live with forever and keep referring to. It has such a compendium of knowledge, the sweeping view. Um, but it asks, how does my confidence actually serve the status quo? Uh, mm. It distracts from structural inequalities in our society. I wanted to ask you, Suzanne, is believing in yourself now become a form of magical thinking? And how does it serve the status quo? <laughs> so I completely, you know, for me, this is all about serving the status quo. And what I mean by that is it is the greatest tool. Your self-doubt, my self-doubt serves the status quo. Because if I think, you know what, I'll apply for that job or I'll speak up, when I have a bit more confidence, well, that keeps me quiet. And they don't even need to get involved, frankly. They don't need to help me. They don't need to look at systemic bias. They don't need to do anything because I'm doubting myself, which means I'm silencing myself and I'm not pushing 
for things that I quite rightly might be deserving of based on my competence, that is my skills, my experience. Um, but if I doubt myself, then I'm doing the hard work for them. And that, that hugely, hugely worries me. Um, and I'm glad that you see that it, for me, this is completely relevant. I even had to pull the book from publication because it was due to come out in early March. And I thought, oh my God, this is COVID time. Like this was just immediately coming out to the fray in front, right in front of me. We had, to your point, we had politicians globally and we still do saying beyond, beyond the two countries that you mentioned who are saying nothing to see here. Um, you know, we'll take care of it, and spiraling death rates. And what's, what's even worse is the people who are cleaning up those death rates are people who are never, we never praise for being really confident. They're the key workers, the health workers, they're educators, they're people for whom we rely on those people. That's your, your, your bin men, the people who do the basics of keeping a society running, but we don't really need them to be confident and talk about how great they are. We need them to be able to do their job well, and that's the people we are now falling back and relying upon beyond, above and beyond any time we've needed them, certainly in living memory. Um, we really need skills now. I mean, it's not surprising that you know, God Almighty, in America, Dr. Fauci is practically a sex symbol, you know, with certain people. <laughs> um, because people, you know, he's believable in terms of the knowledge that he brings to it. But what his weakness is, I would say, and the weakness of many competent people, is he's not to say, he's not standing there with Superman's, uh, you know, outfit on saying, follow me, people, I know everything, and I have all the answers. Because the truth is, any skill that any of us have it's a merging topic. It will be always changing. And so no matter what you get good at, part of what main, means that you have to stay competent is knowing that you are going to be always learning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we're, you know, we're still finding out every day, new things about COVID. And that will go on, unfortunately, that will go on for years. I think that Dr. Fauci is a sex symbol. I think, <laughs> no, I, I really, yeah. I think, I think the, the thing is that, you know, trust has shifted. It's been violated. Look at Brazil and, you know, people mm-hmm. in these countries whose, you know, yeah. I was going to say dictators, whose leaders um, mm-hmm. filter information so much and are, you know, bending it to their own ends. And you have somebody like Dr. Fauci who's delivering straight up science. I think we just yeah. need to introduce you to as a person who, when you talked about perennially (laughs) learning, um, Mm -hmm. you are a three-time author. You're a PhD from Cambridge University. You've had Mm -hmm. 25 years helping professional women get the careers they want. And Mm -hmm. now you're the author of The Con Job, Getting Ahead for Competence in a Mm World-Obsessed Confidence, published by Wit and Wisdom Press. It's, mm-hmm. I'm so happy to have this book in my e-library because it validates so many things I was sensing, but I couldn't put into words. You even say... And you know what? I, go on, I'm sorry. No, you even say narcissism is the new normal. Go ahead and take off yeah. on any of this. It is. It's, it is the new normal. And I think that, you know, when you say you didn't have your finger on it, I think that people have started thinking about this a bit. And it wasn't obvious to me as well because, you know, I make my living primarily from either speaking with audiences or coaching. And one of the things I remember 
probably about 10 years ago, I was working for a big law firm, and I was doing some consultancy work for them, and the consultancy work was around um, my expertise. It was women in male-dominated fields, and I said, what's the issue? They said, well, we're not getting many women into senior partnership level. So I said, okay, well, what do you think is part of the problem? And what the largely male leadership said to me, they said, there's probably a couple things going on. They blamed, you know, maternity leave and all the kind of usual suspects that we like to blame. However, what they said is, but I think a lot of it has to do with confidence. The women just don't have enough confidence. And I said, okay, well, I can look at that. So I've conducted focus groups, both with men and women. And I would ask these people, and let's be really clear, these are some smart people, you know, really, really really accomplished people who were at senior associate level. And I would say, okay, do you think you will be made, do you think you'll get to partnership level? Are you confident of that? And when I would ask the guys, they would often say, yeah, you know, I think I've got a good mentor here. I'm getting some good projects. I've, I've been put on a couple of big client leads. There's, I'm, 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 pos- I'm optimistic about my chances. Yeah, I think I could be made partner here. Now, when I spoke to the women, they would often say, um, well, you know what, I've got some interesting projects, but I don't quite know the way ahead. I sometimes ask for a bit of support and people just tell me, get on with it or, or just have more confidence. So I am confident in my ability and I'm confident that I could be made partner somewhere, but maybe not here. Mm-hmm. And what was so interesting is that the leadership who had hired me did not think that the fact, they, they didn't recognize that the fact that they were largely men, and, and let's be very clear, they were largely white men, they didn't necessarily see what kind of effect that was having on everybody else in the organization in terms of sending a kind of a hidden message as to who's likely to get ahead and who isn't. Right. And that creates confidence. It's, and it's a sense it's, of ada- what I call in the book, what, what is called adaptive realism, which yes. is that women and people from other re- underrepresented groups as well generally will say, you know what, I'm looking around, and if I see people like me getting ahead, getting to the top, then I'm more confident I will too. But if I don't, then I will readjust my expectations and set my sights a little lower. And let's be really clear, Diane, all of this is subconscious. People Mm -hmm. will be setting these expectations for themselves as to what they're likely to achieve based on what they see around them. But the problem is that that gets misinterpreted as a lack of confidence. And that's easy. You know, it's good to misinterpret that because, frankly, if I'm the leader of that organization, I don't have to do a darn thing if Diane or Suzanne is saying she's lowering her sights. Right. I don't have to look we've, at what's going on self, in the organization. Right. We've self-sabotaged. But I think that the important thing is to not take it on. Um, for people of color, which I think then there's another dimension, it's not lack of confidence in self. It's lack of confidence that the system will support you. And I exactly. think that, and that is, as you say, with adaptive realism, that is a realistic view. There's no denying that. So I think the pie in the sky, the things, you know, the self-talk that Mm -hmm. we're supposed to be saying to ourselves, I can achieve, I can overcome. 
we, we can overcome, but mm-hmm. we've got mm-hmm. so many moving parts to put together yeah. um, to do that. And I think that the fact that you focus on being realistic versus being idealistic is just another um, positive contribution to this um, way of, of looking at things. Um, our assets might be far more valuable than we think, but if we... Um, you know, continually think that all we need is our confidence. We're not even focusing mm-hmm. on developing ourselves. You know, we're, we're focusing on this attitude that we think is mm-hmm. going to carry us. Um, and yeah. I, I wondered, yeah, I wondered. It's almost like a form of crack. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a kind of, it's a kind of delusional <laughs> drug that we, you know, take. And as you say, yeah. it's it's subconscious. Um, I really, I, yeah, I think that now you've. You've also in the book given us a number of kind of very bullet points. Um, it's practical advice on um, you know. So this this I you know it's easy to feel lacking in confidence. You say, but often related to how many easy wins you've had. Um, mm. So people just say believe in yourself, but this creates problems. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's easy excuse to avoid supporting the underconfident or advocating on their behalf. It's easy to excuse, avoid supporting people of color or people Mm -hmm. whose first language is not, you know, that of the country who are um, not the dominant culture. Um, And it distracts from the bigger systemic issues as to why certain people statistically are more likely to get ahead. Um, And I I think it's so... it's really fascinating to me because it's not just, okay, let's teach them to get have confidence and then we'll value them. Um, the other issue is when those people do have confidence, well, we don't respond well to it. Um, and so, as you know, in the book, I talk about the fact that when we have, when we see people from Latinx backgrounds displaying confidence, we are, we like to describe them as being spicy or fiery or People, African-Americans, are often described as being angry or uppity or aggressive when they, too, are showing confidence. And this goes even down to kind of socioeconomic levels, that when people from um, what I would say socioeconomically background, you know, socioeconomic challenged backgrounds display confidence, that we will refer to them as being too big for their boots or needing to know their place or acting above their station. And that's before we even get into all the words that we use to describe women who have confidence. I mean, everything from kind of bullshy to bitchy to brazen to the current favorite, uh, nasty, for, you know, that we deem out for any woman that has an opinion and dares to express it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, in the truth, you know, we're, but these, are, these people are showing confidence in that they're using their voice, but we don't right. reward them for it equally. That's correct. It's disparate. It's disparate. We're going to pause for a commercial break, but I think um, when we come back, we're going to look at language like strap on your kahunas and, you know, being ballsy, <laughs> and we're going to break down the male-female. I also want to just emphasize that that will be done with a lot of gender fluidity because there are certainly a lot of males who are thinking right brain, you know, with their feminine sides. But mm. when, we do, when we come back, we're going to look at some of this language um, and all of the imprints that we get um, around being confident. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Dr. Suzanne Doyle-Morris, and she is the author of The Con Job. It's a fantastic read if you want to delve into the subject of how confidence has somehow outstripped competence in our world, in our lives, in our governments even, and how we're going to try to return to center, um, bring the yin to the yang. So, Suzanne, we were talking about women and men in the workplace, and I, I just need to read this quote from your book. Looking at the combined data for both sexes, we found that males almost always exhibited more confidence than females did, even though they were systematically outperformed by them. Uh, women are less delusional men than men when it comes to assessing their academic career potential, and that does pay off. Um, you, you know, you, you cite the, and we said during the break, you know, you really walk the walk with this book. It's so evidence-based. Here's a statistic. In almost every country around the globe, women's academic performance has been rising often to the point of outperforming men, certainly the case in the U.S., yet men remain more confident in their career success than do women. As we've heard from others, you can have confidence in yourself, but less confidence in the system or likelihood people will appreciate your difference. Um, talk to us for a moment about the Howard Heidi study. I just got such a charge out of this. <laughs> Howard and Heidi. Essentially, what this is, I mean, certainly not my study, but it was a, it was a study of business school students who were given a, uh, given essentially, uh, it wasn't exactly a test, but they were given a CV of somebody and told, you know what, who would you rather work for, Howard or Heidi? And Howard had a whole bunch of attributes to him. Um, he was very accomplished. He was um, a real perfectionist in his area, and, and people knew that he would be a, a great person to work for. Now, Heidi had they, uh, the second, second group of students was given the same exact description of what she'd accomplished, where she was going in life, um, and this was to raise investment. And people said, who would you rather work for, Heidi and Howard? And let's be really clear, they had the same exact description of everything that they had done. And what's even funnier is that 
Heidi is a real person. She's Heidi Roizen, and she is a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley. Um, but that was not necess- important for the purposes of this uh, this um, experiment. What happened is they asked the, the business students, "Who would you rather work for?" You know, when you come out of out of uh, business school, who would you rather work for? And the students said, "Oh, Howard." And the thing is, people recognized that Heidi was accomplished, but they would say, I don't think she'll be much fun or she'll be really, or she won't be very nice. And that was what was so interesting. Um, well, there's to, the B word right there. Yeah, yeah. So it was really, it was so interesting about the way people uh, judged the two people who were literally on paper identical because Howard did not even exist. He was not a a real person. The whole biopic was completely written about Heidi Roizen and what she had achieved at that point. They'd just given her and some of them a Howard name. And Howard was much more likable. He was confident, but he would be a good guy as well. And you couldn't Mm -hmm. say the same about Heidi, unfortunately, in their view. (laughs) Because so it, is, um, it is shocking. Yeah, it, that is shocking. I mean, because um, a woman who is then, quote unquote, ballsy or, mm-hmm. you know, has guts is is perceived as then being unpleasant. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I guess I just, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, even I have two questions. The one I ruminated, the one I ruminated about the longest um, before, and we, reading this, but even before reading this book, you know, if women have more competence, um, why aren't we ruling the world? I mean, we can be in tangent with men, we can be cooperating, and clearly we should, but do we need to then frame our intelligence, frame our competence in a certain way so as to be palatable? So I think the likability factor is overplayed uh, because, as you'll remember from the research in the book, what, what is interesting is that when they start to judge men and women at senior levels, they find actually that a lot of women, the more senior they become, actually become, palatable is not exactly the right word, but they become less I'm not sure offensive is the right word either, but but when they looked at um, who was who who had the most positive and most negative 360 reviews from their direct reports and from their colleagues, their peers, they found consistently that women outpaced men at positive reviews. It wasn't a huge overplaying, but it was significant enough to be, um, to be mentionable. And it was something that they saw across thousands of people that senior female leaders were just generally better regarded than senior male leaders. So it is this, uh, it is this weird paradox of how many men get through to the top. But I think that's because a lot of the behaviors, the ones we ascribe to confidence, that is being forward thinking and speaking off the cuff and things of that nature that we all assume we associate with confidence, they are more likely to be seen in status quo people and status quo men in particular. And when I talk status quo, as you will remember from the book, I am not just referring to masculinity, and and we can talk more about that, but I'm also referring to race 
and and also disability. Uh, do they have a visible disability? Do I de- they identify that the heterosexual? I'm talking about people who are extroverted as too, you know, as well. So extroverts tend to do. I'm not surprised. You know, you're probably not surprised. They tend to do pretty well in the workplace because that's what we expect leadership to look like. And you will remember from, from some of the people I was lucky enough to interview, I mean, I interviewed nearly 40 leaders from around the world, and some of the people who identified as, you know what, I am more introverted naturally, but when I go into work, I have to kind of put on a more extroverted face in mm-hmm. order to be seen as a confident leader and someone who would uh, be worthy of promotion. In fact, one, one chap said that he often found that uh, that what, what he saw was that people who were extroverts but not particularly ambitious would be more likely to be tapped on the shoulder by senior leaders and saying, really, you don't want senior leadership? We think you'd be a great fit. And they'd say, no, not interested. Whereas <laughs> introverts who were fantastic at their job were routinely being overlooked. And for me, that's what the book is about, right? Let's not overlook really good people. Yes, let's draw them in. That's a bit of a longer title, but... (laughs) No, I think think that's absolutely right. Bring those voices (laughs) in and be receptive to different kinds of communication because, you know, there is a blurring now. I think, you know, you talk about over time, characteristics change and the mellowing that occurs, you know, as you become more senior. But I think the the important part, I was actually loved this. um, It's um, Mahali Susan... To Mahali, oh, this is a, a person I've tried to pronounce over and over on this show, and, but I love him, and he's the author of Flow, and you, you quote him, um, that says, um, a psychologically androgynous person, in effect, mm. doubles his or her repertoire of responses and yeah. can inter- interact with the world in terms of a much more abundant and varied spectrum of opportunities. And I think that's also so true of introvert-extrovert. It's so interesting what you said about, I need to don my extrovert costume. I, I have mm-hmm. to say, it's really poisonous in the coaching world and coaches um, get a bad rap for it uh, in the sense that it's the do it mentality, right? Don't Mm -hmm. ask questions. You know, Mm -hmm. I I actually heard someone say the other day um, that they were in a meeting forming a new business and it was like, get her done, you know, and then someone else at the table said, but what about if this happens? And, you know, it was like, those voices were not welcome. Mm -hmm. That dissension was not welcome. It's really Mm -hmm. hard to square that with where we are today, where we so badly need to hear people say, but what if it actually goes south? What if it actually goes wrong? Um, And, um, you know, I, as a person, as a person who grew up as a tomboy, I I was so thrilled to hear that androgynous personalities have more opportunities, because I thought, oh, thank goodness, there's a purpose for it. And there's a purpose for self doubt, because it helps Mm. you prepare, prepare for things. Um, Yeah. I even think impossible. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, to that point, I even think imposter syndrome can be a bit of a superpower. So, mm-hmm. And explain, it, yes. It, so it keeps you improving, right? If I think I'm so amazing, well, then how likely is it that I'm going to want to keep learning or keep engaged in my topic? Because remember, I know it all. <laughs> 
So I really think that when we talk about people who have some self-doubt, I think actually that's useful because my topic, your topic, the topic of podcasting, i got to be honest, it is probably different than it was a year ago or even six months ago or three months ago and certainly 10 years ago. You have to keep learning as you go. And if you just approach whatever your topic is as if you've been there, done that forever, and there's nothing new to learn, then you will, well, you'll either at at best become an unengaging person to be around, (laughs) and who wants that, frankly, and at worst, you can create mistakes for yourself and others and, and take huge risks that you really shouldn't because you didn't stay on top of being an expert in your field. That's right. And you have um, a PhD from the University of Cambridge. You've, mm-hmm. uh, over the last 25 years, you've helped organizations improve their gender balance, particularly at a senior level. And during that time, you've also written Beyond the Boys Club, Achieving Career Success as a Woman Working in a Male-Dominated Field. And the second book, Female Breadwinners, How They Make Relationships Work and Why They Are the Future of the Modern Workplace, all available on Amazon, as is your latest book, The Con Job, Getting Ahead for Competence in a World Obsessed with Confidence. Your website is www.inclusique. So you're going to explain to us.com, sorry, you're going to explain to us um, what Inclusique is because that sounds very engaging as well. You have a YouTube channel, Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris, Inclusique, and LinkedIn, you're Suzanne Doyle Morris, and you also, um, you know, this, this Inclusique. Um, give us a little sketch of, of what that is exactly. So essentially, uh, as, as you said at the very beginning, I go in and I help people get, the right people get the jobs they deserve. And so what that usually means for, for big organizations is I help them think, okay, how do we create fairer processes? How do we make sure that we are promoting competence, not just confidence? And how do I make sure that, that, that those, the people who are going through those programs, the ones who are identified as high potential and moved through, are as has like a chance to to represent the wider marketplace as possible. So, I mean, I'll give you a, an example that uh, that's been always funny to me is that when I left Cambridge, I remember I focused on engineers uh, for my for my thesis, and I really thought there weren't very many, many male dominated fields. And what was so interesting is the more I met people, the more I'd get approached by companies, even like even ones that would. That would, to my mind, be very obviously, well, this shouldn't be male dominated. They would be, um, so FMCG, fast moving consumer goods, um, retailers of food products. And when you think about who is actually shopping, I mean, you'll mm-hmm. probably know, Diane, or, you know, the research that shows 80% of household decisions, purchasing decisions, are made or at least very heavily influenced by a woman. And so it was always funny to me when I first got approached by these companies because I'd think, why are you completely male-led when your consumer, your marketplace, is so female-dominated? And, exactly. and And that's continued throughout. So what I've discovered is everywhere I went, the more senior you get in almost any field, the more men you get at the top. And so that's what was interesting to me is how do we unpick that 
And confidence was something that I just routinely heard as being the thing that was holding women and ethnic minorities or people from underprivileged backgrounds back. And I just thought, you know what, I really need to unpick this whole confidence thing. I think you serving people. Right. I think you sensed that there was a um, a bubble there that needed to be popped um, because, you know, you point out um, even when people, when women did perform well, it was more likely to be attributed to luck or extra hours mm. in the office, not through skills yeah. or intelligence. And back to your point about the consumerism. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And it would so influence um, companies producing consumer goods if women were participating more in leadership roles. Because for one thing, we have to undo those ridiculous packages that are not user friendly. I mean, it's also <laughs> we're not just in the buying, we're in the utilization of the product and the, yeah. you know, the feedback and the acceptance of the product and, you know, mm. its utility in our lives. Um, I, I know mm. it's a big generalization. There are lots of um, house husbands out there and um, men who are, you know, really participatory in the in the household. So I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make a um, a crazy generalization, but you know, as you say, statistically, it's there. And um, mm-hmm. you know, if we are talking about competence, and that's not thought of as a sexy, alluring word, you you offer practical. Uh, substitutes. Okay, let's say we're insightful, knowledgeable. <laughs> let's make mm-hmm. competence glamorous again. That's what I want to. Yes. That's what I want to do. Um, you know, I, you talk about the difference between charisma and confidence, and charisma is another thing that isn't even necessary to performance, but people equate the two. And I think that you know uh, we have a few minutes left. But um, wh- what do you think about? how women uh, interpret charisma. When I look at the weather, when I look at the nightly news and the weather person is a woman in a skin tight cocktail dress, she looks like she's going to a party to try to score. Um, and the, the, the announcer, the male announcer is looking entirely appropriate and proper. What goes on there with this concept of charisma? <laughs> So I almost feel like you are thinking about a specific channel that you must watch that drives you crazy <laughs> with that well, question. <laughs> how about the one that Jeff Bezos was watching when he started going out with Lauren Sanchez, you know, and re- wrecked his marriage? <laughs> so I, for me, charisma is two things, really. Charisma is an energy that you get that from that you get when you are around that person, but it's also the energy that they that they send your way. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with anything with the way you look, but it's an interest in other people. Now that is hard to hard to to quantify, hard to pin down. Um, but one of the things people say is, "I know it when I see it." But I always, as an equality specialist, <laughs> I, also, I run from that phrase, I know it when I see it, because that is, that is a phrase under which so much bias for decades and decades and decades has hidden. Mm-hmm. And that, that worries me. So there's this sense of what does charisma look like? Well, I'll know it when I see it. Or you just, it, it's that sense of, um, of you, you know, that person has that star quality. Let's unpick what that looks like, what, what that really means. And when I interviewed the leaders that I talked to, I didn't ask them how they valued competence versus confidence. I said, what is confidence, you know, what does it look like to you? And that's when they came up with this very long list of, 
of, of phrases. But when I started looking deeper at that list, I thought, okay, these are the, exactly the same list of qualities that people say that they expect to see in men much more. And so we, we mm-hmm. kind of assume the same, the two are the same. Um, and that, that's what worried me and realized there was a story here. There is a story there for sure. We've got to take another commercial break, but when we come back, we are going to continue to pick apart the story, the one whose title is Fake It Till You Make It. We'll be right back on Dropping In with Dr. Suzanne Doyle-Morris. Don't go away. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Suzanne Doyle-Morris, and she is giving us plenty of insights on how to unpack the, comp- the concept of confidence. One of the things we touched on earlier is kind of a flashy uh, part of aspect of this, which is language. Um, we talked about women being ballsy, what that's supposed to look like. And, and this idea that, you know, unless you are ultra strong, unless you're faking it until you're making it, you're acting like a pussy. Now, there's another derogatory term that the way language frames the way we think I have to think all of this, Suzanne, is incredibly anxiety-producing. Talk to us about how it's infected masculine perceptions of self and what's evolving in that, in that genre. Okay, so for me, I'm so glad you used the P word <laughs> because for me, this really is around, you're right, we are so influenced by language. And I started thinking about this and I thought, why is it that, you know, somebody who has a lot of confidence, we will describe them as being cocky. I mean, it's in that word itself. Or mm-hmm. that will say, just man up when we are also encouraging someone to have a bit more confidence in themselves. Or that, you know, we'll say, grow a pair, dude. You yeah. know, it's not a grow a pair of lemons, it's grow a pair of balls. <laughs> or, Easier or said than done, balls. I might add. It, sorry? Easier said than done. Exactly, exactly. And so, and conversely, what fascinates me is that when we describe someone who is showing no confidence, no strength, we say, don't be a pussy. 
or she's being a pussy or he's being a pussy. And I thought, how is it that a part of the female anatomy is the worst thing that we can call anybody now? Why has that happened and what is the effect on that? So the book isn't all about and, that, but I do address me, it because, you know, I just we're wanna, talking. Suzanne, this I just want to, I just want to, since you made the point, I just want to interject here quite rudely, I might add, I'm sorry, but you, you have the pussy as the most, the, the most negative and you have the cocky mm-hmm. as the most positive. So there is a yeah. symmetry to it, which is really completely. deadly when you think about it. Um, no matter, yeah. I mean, yeah, really it it's is completely deadly. Mm-hmm. Completely so, me, deadly. So and, go and so on. Sorry. 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 So what was interesting to me is that this interplay, people recognize, and they recognize in things that they've said themselves, or even things they've thought about themselves. And I was thinking, but you know, let's be really honest. The the, the funny thing is, both are, as you and I probably know, and lots of people on listening probably know, they're really vulnerable, right? I mean, they are sensitive. They're weak. They mm-hmm. shrink in the cold. <laughs> but if you're looking for a resilient body part and you think about what's involved with childbirth, then I don't think we should be calling some, somebody a pussy when we're <laughs> describing him. <laughs> it's no shrinking violet so there, that's for sure. Exactly, exactly. So for me, I thought this is really interesting because actually my concern is that this does affect all of us, but it affects us in ways we don't even necessarily think about to the point that... Um, you know, I think none of this is male bashing. It really, these outdated versions of what confidence should be, they hinder everybody um, because we assume that men have lots of confidence to the point that we call them cocky. But this, this stereotype of them having it all together, I actually believe contributes to the fact that suicide is the number one killer of men in the developed world uh, who are under 45, you know, that is a shocker. Um, and in and, and this sense, when you listen to families who lost somebody to suicide, you'll say, did you know? It was, and they say, no, he seemed pretty happy. He seemed to have it all together. He didn't want to talk about his issues. And I just think, God, this is, this is poisoning the atmosphere where we've got this, there's nothing to see here mentality that is ascribed to confidence. When there's so much more for us to see. It, it's, it's so poignant, Suzanne. I think you've really hit on something there. And there again, if you man up, you suppress your emotions. You don't talk about how you're feeling. You don't talk about the pressure of having to be a, quote, successful male, how success is defined. But I also mm-hmm. think, um, you know, and I just, I, I think that's an extraordinary point. I'd, I'd love to do like an entire, you know, series on that. Um, I, I, I believe, though, that what you're talking about and even the language man up. Oh, and also, by the way, in the book, you go to the C word, which is the ultimate expression. And I think mm-hmm. right now, since it's morning in America, we'll leave it off for here. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> the expression of man up, okay, it's also, is it not culturally relative? Like in the UK, I hear it quite a bit more. Um, maybe it's Margaret Thatcherism still in the air, or there's a certain sense that you know you 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 clench your jaw, you get on with it, um, you know, keep calm and carry on. All of it. It's kind of, you know, I think more um, 
more prevalent. Whereas here, you know, we, especially here around New York, where I am, you know, we revel in being whiners, um, you know, get into a cab sometime and talk to a cab driver when we used to be able to do that. Um, is it, is it culturally <laughs> relative in your, in your experience and how so? I think uh, what was interesting was I interviewed people from about a, de- a dozen different countries. And this, and, and let's be very clear, all of those countries had sh- gradations of, of difference in how they not just defined, but also how they valued confidence. Um, so the kind of bravado, the, you know, the shooting from the hip, all of that was not necessarily as valuable in other countries as it was in kind of the Anglo-Saxon world compared to, um, compared to for example, Asia, compared to um, parts of Sweden. I mean, I have quite a few clients who are from Nordic states where actually a sense of humility um, is deeply revered, as is there's, you know, a few, uh, a, a woman in particular who I interviewed who's from a Persian background, and she said, you know what, every time I'm told to self-promote and be confident, it is like nails on a chalkboard. It is the worst thing, because I am, the Persian culture is all about humility, and just do not be the person who raises your head above the parapet for self-promotion. The only type of promotion that, va- that is valuable is what other people say about you. And I think that is a really key point that we need to take on because let's be honest, Diane, the truth is you and I and everybody else listening on this call uh, will know that we are all hired, fired, or promoted not based on how great we think we are, but based on what other people think. <laughs> so for me, like, go to your 360 feedback, go to what other people think of you, and use that as how you, you know, how you talk about yourself. Because let's be honest, those people are pretty aware of who you actually are. Because um, I can talk about how amazing I am all day long, but if nobody's listening or cares or agrees with me, then I'm not going to get very far. Right. You need the two thumbs up. I think the 360 perspective was very helpful to me. Um, That concept of constructive criticism and how to accept it, um, you know, ties in with the idea of humility and how we've lost the thread on humility um, Mm -hmm. and need to reconnect. And hopefully, because we have more global, you know, awareness and integration, will move away from some of the ultra-promotional characters like Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, a certain mm-hmm. person who occupies the White House. Um, <laughs> I, I think that these, these ideas um, that run, as you say, counterintuitive, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that um, we do need to hearken back to. I want to ask you, though, about the concept of intuition, because you've touched on it in a way um, you know, you, you say that it also influences our stereotypical, our stereotypes and our reflex to a stereotypical response. Um, you know, aggressive women are bad, you know, those kinds mm-hmm. of, those kinds of statements. I wondered if, um, you know, intuition was kind of getting a bad rap because 
we do need inner guidance. We do need to drop into ourselves to hear ourselves mm. think. Um, and for me, intuition has always been about actually slowing down the process. It's the opposite of a compulsion. You know, if I sit with myself and kind of look at all the different aspects of things, you know, it, it, it often, you know, where I end up falling or what feels right to me is actually a distillation. It's actually an analysis. It's something that almost goes prefrontal cortex from the amygdala, amygdala the reptilian brain. Um, and I, I, I wondered if there was a way of utilizing intuition a little differently that might help inform unpacking some of these notions and deflecting from our automatic responses and accepting other voices like the humble voice, you know, the precise voice, the careful voice. Um, is there a way of kind of unlearning or, you know, what is our prognosis in your view? So I think what's interesting about intuition is that I think intuition gets a bad rap um, generally. And I think a big part of that is because it doesn't feel scientific. It doesn't feel logical. However, I think the biggest reason it gets a bad rap is because it's often paired with the word feminine intuition. And what I want to be really clear is I know men have intuition as well as women, but they don't use that word for it. They will say, and this is very respectable for them to say this, that they're going, for their, going with their gut. Mm-hmm. So they too are tapping into a, a knowledge that comes from someplace deeper than just their thinking space, if you will. Um, but they're, and that response of going with your gut, trusting, trusting my instincts, those things sound harder. They sound, and I don't mean more difficult, but they sound more impactful, more aggressive. They, and therefore, I would say, more credible in the world of intuition. So I think intuition has a place, definitely, um, I think it's all, sometimes it's about the way we talk about it and then questioning, okay, why do we value it when it's going with your gut and not when it's feminine intuition, which sounds a lot lighter and softer and mm-hmm. fluffier. It's a power question, isn't it? It's a question of, of um, utilizing something that we do all have innately and yeah. maybe re- rebranding it. Um, your 360 view I thought was marvelous, and it's a great exercise that can come out of reading this wonderful book, The Con Job. And I regret to say that we only have a couple more minutes. Um, you, you talk about hearing constructive criticism, and for me, it's actually harder to hear sometimes praise. Um, and you, you talk about, you know, actually breaking these down to be able to accept the grain of truth of what people are saying so that we understand what our um, actual unique selling points are, um, which Mm. is just lovely. Is there one more thought you'd like to add now that you've given us so much to think about um, and that will go forward with us? We have about a minute left. Yeah, so what I think, I want to just share a story from the book around how we redefine confidence. 
And for me, it, it's, it's for your, your listeners because you're all about identity. And I worked with a, a chap who Suzanne, essentially... Suzanne, he, Suzanne, I'm sorry, yeah. we have about 30 seconds left. So it, I, I do, I do the, we do need to redefine for sure. Um, and you, I'll, I'll just close with this. What would a less confident world look like? People would start each day better prepared and there'd be fewer arguments and fewer mistakes. In time, the world would be more competent if we would lower people's confidence. We've been with Suzanne Doyle-Morris. It's been a great pleasure. Please look her up on her Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you, Suzanne. And also thank thank you you to all of our listeners. Stay safe and remember, more knowy and less showy. Thanks for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.